Oh, welcome everybody. This is going to be an interesting episode on content during an interesting time. And as we record this and we all consider our strategies, I'm sure that you have been going through change. It's lots of change in the air these days and I'm not sure that it's going to stop. So wear those hats and uh, Consider how your strategy will be changing and how we can add a lot of value. And with that, I'll introduce today's guest momentarily. Her name is Tara Clever. She is the VP of Marketing at Margin Edge. She spent her entire career across a diverse landscape of roles, creating a unique combination of sales, operations. She's got a lot of marketing experience anchored in creative and growth-oriented strategy. She spent the majority of her career in sales and marketing for the health and wellness vertical and now serves as the Vice President of Marketing for Margin Edge, a venture-backed, high-growth, SaaS startup serving the industry, these serving the restaurant industry. So with that, welcome to the show, Tara. Oh, so happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. And what interesting times we're in, huh? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I think about podcasts, you know, and their evergreen value. And for this, it's like we're in the middle of a pandemic. Like, hopefully there are takeaways, but there's so much that's changing. Even a couple of weeks feels like a lifetime. That's true. You know, that with all the episodes that we've been recording lately, it people, you can't help but bring it up, both host and guest. Right. I mean, it's all consuming as marketers, as like human beings experiencing it. I mean, this is just one of those, uh, you know, once in a lifetime situations. But, you know, kind of what I continue to feel as I take a step back and kind of look at what we're going through, especially through a marketing lens is um, there are lessons, right? There are lessons. This is almost like a, a great equalizer, almost like a reset button. And as we start adding strategies and work back into the mix in this incredibly unique environment, there is this real gut check of like, well, we were doing it before. Does it make sense to keep doing it? And I feel like those questions we should be asking more often generally, um, because it's really been a lens where we've done some pretty like aggressive pivoting shifting of our strategies. And and I think a lot of the lessons we're learning are things that we will take with us as an organization and myself as a professional way beyond um, just the kind of like crisis that we're in in this moment. Love it. Totally agree with you. And even if somebody's watching this after the pandemic, hopefully this will end, right? Oh God, really? Yeah. <laughs> that extreme situation has to be an interesting point of reference for somebody to be able to triangulate what they're doing and act more nimbly and effectively. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, fantastic. Mission and vision as it relates to marketers and entrepreneurs. How how often do we have to reset that now? <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. I mean, when I think about who we are as marketers and, and specifically when you think about our role as the voice and the kind of heartbeat of a brand and how that you know, heartbeat then, of course, links to the strategic outcomes of what you're trying to do as a business. But, you know, it's I know it's kind of like cliche to say, but, you know, it really is about authenticity. And I think that in this moment, um, 
you know, for us at Margin Edge, and I think more broadly, what we're seeing are the brands that have really earned our trust either before this and carrying through this crisis or the ones that have really come out in force with a truly authentic and empathetic message. Those are the ones that are getting the attention. Those are the ones that are getting the reaction and the ones that are self-congratulatory or um, kind of stating the obvious. Um, My CEO at Margin Edge has this great phrase that I know I will carry with me long after um, all of this is over, which is like, we gut check everything we send out by asking, is it hand washing? Because so many people came out and they're like, wash your hands, wash your hands. And it's like, I don't need my shoe brand telling me to like hang in there and like wash my hands. So everything we send out, we look through the lens of, is this hand washing? Are we saying something meaningful? Are we saying what's already been said? And if it's hand washing, we don't send it. If it's not, then it's something that we think about kind of sending out to our audience and beyond. And that just feels like a really meaningful lesson when I think about what I'm taking away from this and what I hope people in our profession and and kind of across the industries take away is that that lens shouldn't just be something that we do in this moment. That should be the lens we look at almost everything we're putting out into the world. Is it authentic? Is it empathetic? Does it say something meaningful? And having the discipline to to really cut out the stuff that doesn't fit that criteria. Interesting. In terms of bridging from normalcy to now, how salient was the current content strategy versus the previous mission? For us, it's been really cool um, because we are uh, a fast-growing software company that serves the restaurant industry. And our um, CEO owns two restaurants. Um, Everyone on our business development team was either a GM of a restaurant, a chef of a restaurant, an owner or operator of a restaurant. So in the DNA of our company, from the very beginning has been, we are rest. We are not just restaurant people. We are, we have lived this life. We viscerally know what it's like to own and operate a restaurant. When we understand the pain, we know the lingo. This is part of our DNA as people. And then that becomes part of our DNA as a company. So central to our messaging always has been to really support, um, and make that very transparent, you know, um, we have, uh, our team has mouths of sailors, uh, that definitely trickles through huh. to some of our marketing. I mean, the service industry is not a super buttoned up, uh, vertical. And so we really let some of that authenticity fly in the way we, we speak to our audience. And, um, and that's just a truly authentic thing anyway. Um, and when we think about our content strategy before this, um, that was always true, but when your vertical gets completely hammered, like what, has happened to the restaurant industry over the last six or eight weeks. Um, I think that the investment we made in that authenticity has allowed us to pivot into messaging and, and a little bit of a, a reshaping of who we are, because, you know, we can't talk about restaurant management software when every restaurant is closed, right? So our software, what we're selling and what we're building as a company is a much smaller piece of the conversation. But because of the work that we did beforehand, when we are able to come to the marketplace with to our network with, Hey, we're doing this for, uh, for our restaurants. We're hearing this from our network. Here's how we're thinking about financial relief, or here's how we're thinking about creative ways. You may be able to kind of make some money on your business model. That's completely changed or whatever. We have permission to have that conversation where I think 
had we not made that investment in authenticity of brand voice and that real investment in brand equity, um, people would be like, shut up, you're a restaurant software system. Like, why would you be the ones telling me? And, and the, you know, kind of really stark contrast is we've seen the exact opposite. Our list has grown, our engagement has grown, the sentiment from our community has only been, thank you so much for what you're doing. And I think that that's I don't know for me, like in the moment has been something that I know I will take away, um, with me for, you know, kind of through this crisis and well beyond, um, is that permission that that investment in authenticity gives you to be broader than just the product that you're building or the thing that you're selling, um, which is incredibly valuable. Not only is it the right thing to do, but it's a, it's a very valuable business proposition. Perfect. That's so cool. You really can't help but feel the caring that would come from people who uh, have done exactly what it is that the people that they're serving do. That's exactly right. And our CEO has two restaurants that he's had to, to close. And so he has gone through like as a restaurateur, he has gone through every bit of this side by side with our network. And as he learns things, we share it with our network as, you know, we find different resources or different ways, you know, that's been a, it's been central to what we've done over the last six or eight weeks. I mean, I would imagine that most people listening, um, and most, most owners and operators have, have a story that connects them to the product or company that they've built. And that story is always something that I don't know that it always gets the attention that it deserves, but it definitely endears people to your brand when they really understand where leadership is coming from, their background, their heart, the heart of it. And for us, that's been especially true, um, through all of this, because, you know, it's, it's not, we're not just storytelling. Like this is stuff that we're dealing with every single day. Our CEO is going through this every day and we're just choosing to talk about it. It's really, it's been remarkable, the reaction compared to kind of, you know, in other companies I've worked for or other times in my career where you produce really valuable content, but it's, it's kind of a like, yeah, that was great, but okay, moving on. Right. As opposed to this, that feels like really dense and heavy and impactful. And it's, you know, it's kind of the new level. I think that I'll look at content marketing through moving forward for sure. Love it. Well, let's try and distill that in a minute. But before we do that, maybe we could weave in your background a little bit. So there's some context for where you're coming from as well. So how did your past lead you to where you are right now in your career? Yeah, it's a, it is a winding, winding road, as I'm sure is true for a lot of people. Um, <laughs> you know, go to graduate school for a degree you no longer use, I'm sure is also a story that a lot of people can relate to. Um, I actually went to school to work in healthcare in a children's hospital, and I did that for a little while, loved it. Um, but at the time, I was working in South Carolina, and my mom uh, was taking care of my granddad at home in Florida. And it just felt like, God, it just felt too hard to be away. So I moved home and I needed a job and I got a job in um, sales and I had never done sales before. Um, and it was a 
it was in the health and wellness industry. And it just was something that as I started to find my voice and find my path in the sales world, I found that I really liked it. I liked the connection to the person you were talking to. I liked framing sales as problem solving. And because I had no training and because I had never done it and because I had never gone to school, I had this view on it that was almost completely unfiltered. Um, and I think it gave me a really unique perspective that cascaded into a role within the same organization and as a sales manager and definitely heavy in marketing. And then when I moved to DC about six years ago, I was brought on as general manager for Vita Fitness, which is a, a boutique fitness um, local chain here in DC, um, and then worked as senior general manager and then director of marketing for them. And for me, sales and marketing um, and growth it's all kind of always been woven in together. I'm so grateful to have had kind of operating sales and marketing experience because I think that really rounds out a marketing viewpoint um, as opposed to looking at marketing in a silo. And then um, from there, I went to Territory Foods, which is a, a food tech startup. Um, I fell in love with a high growth company, fell in love with the startup environment. There's just nothing like the agility and speed that you get when you're in a company that's entire kind of world is constructed around like just breaking it wide open. So super exciting to me. And then um, later or late in 2019, I joined Margin Edge. And so that's kind of the path, but I'd say most of it is heavily influenced by just a, a real unvarnished observing, observing of my behavior, observing of the people around me, observing of what works and a really experimental, um, lens on the world. And, and then when you find being willing to not have ego around it, really fail fast and move through things quickly, that kind of iterative mindset has proven to be really valuable and, and certainly has made me fall in love with, with being in marketing because it's so much more broad than, I don't know, PDFs and PowerPoint presentations. You know, you get to really be a part of the conversation and the strategy and um, building the company. You know, that just it's it's super fun. Great. I love that notion of the blend of marketing, sales, and growth. To me, there's just, you know, there's all the kind of historical tension between sales and marketing, right? Like, and that's that's not unique to any specific company. It's that, you know, if sales are down, it's because the leads are bad. Or if sales are down, it's because the salespeople can't can't close the leads that we've brought in, right? And there's there that division can, you know, that's like the tale as old as time, right? So to Someone me else's to have, fault. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or like, you know, it's coming from a real place. I've worked my ass off. I feel like I've done something really meaningful and it's not working. And I have a high degree of attachment to the fact that it's not working. And my, my initial reaction is going to be like, yeah, it's not working because it can't be me because it was a freaking great idea. It has to be something else. But when you've had when you really have empathy on both sides, when you know what it's like to sit in that sales position and you know what it's like to sit in the marketing position, you know, to me, what that does is really, it helps me lean on data as opposed to emotion. And obviously as a marketer, it's a creative role. There's got to be a help, like a little bit of that creative and gut and emotion piece of it. But to me, it's about really getting under the hood on the data side and being able to let the data be the thing that that bridges the gap between what's happening. So is it 
cohort health? Is it the segment of the marketplace? Is it the messaging? Like what, and can we use the numbers to support that? And I feel like for the most part, that's been a really valuable, almost like true north that helps that um, conversation between those two departments be something where we agree what true is, right? True is numbers. And then we riff off that as opposed to subjective, like, well, I've worked really hard and I don't know why it's working. It must be your fault. Well, I've worked really hard and it's not working. So it's definitely your fault. Um, that's really been the great level set for me. Excellent. This is going to sound rather Dr. Seussian, but how humble indeed for you to let the data lead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. I know it's not always the easiest. No, but I absolutely agree with you that when in doubt, look at the data, even when not in doubt, look at the data, right? <laughs> but that's, that's right. That's and setting everything up in an experimental mindset. I mean, to go into everything, understanding there's a high or there's an equal chance this works, that it doesn't work. If we knew it was going to work, we'd have already done it. You know, everything that we're doing is especially in a, in a startup environment, especially in a high growth environment where your landscape changes so quickly, you have to take bets. And if you're taking bets, you have to have uh, a loose relationship with your ego, right? So really being open to what the outcome is and trying to instill that culture in the teams around you allows you to move really quickly. And especially in an environment like a startup, that speed is really your differentiator, how quickly you can move from thing to thing, how quickly you can fail, how quickly you can learn. That becomes the kind of like, that's what sets you apart. That's it. And if you can't capture that, then you're really stuck. Perfect. Well, that's a nice segue into focus on tactics and process where pepper, those are getting peppered in throughout this whole conversation. But are there any processes and tips that we can distill into a short little section here? One of the most important things that or at least what has been important to me um, is really making sure you're gut checking with your customers. Um, It can be really easy to think you know what your customers want. It's really easy to think that you know who they are. Um, And this is the kind of softer side of understanding the data or the numbers. At Territory, the food tech startup I worked with, we had a chief customer officer, one of my favorite people in the entire world. His name is Robert Morton. And he um, did customer interviews. So within the jobs to be done framework. And what we did is we took the results of those customer interviews, obviously tagged and coded them from a qualitative lens. And then we had a data scientist that we would sit with and we would say, okay, this is what we're hearing. What does that look like in our data set? How are these behaviors? Uh, are there predictive indicators? Are we seeing things statistically that show that our champion customers who are saying these things, that that gets represented in our data somehow? Are there ways that we can weave marketing strategy around what we're seeing in the qualitative and quantitative side. And to me, every time you get a little bit farther away from your customer, or you make assumptions that haven't been gut checked in a while, you're, you're, every day that passes, there's a little bit more risk that something could have changed, um, that your value proposition isn't exactly the same as it was before. And I think we're all going to be in a 
we're going to be deeply in that learning on the other side of this, because we know everything is going to be different at the end um, of this pandemic and when doors start opening and customer behavior. I mean, I'm sure everybody who's listening is like, yeah, we're just kind of waiting to see what things look like and then react to them. But I would encourage, I mean, what's been really meaningful to us is to, to continue to keep our finger on the pulse of our audience and make sure that everything we're pushing out is something that, that actually, that resonates with the people we want them it to resonate with and not making assumptions. Uh, a tactical example I'll give you is something we're doing right now, which is that we really, really, really want to get our software in the hands of restaurants that are um, either closed and preparing to reopen or restaurants that are open, but operating in a totally different model. I mean, none of our clients, none of our network are operating the exact same way that they were before this, right? So our software helps with understanding the financial kind of snapshot of your company. It helps with efficiency and all of that. So we really want to get, we want that to be a tool that people can use. And, and we're really thinking through like what that looks like to give away, you know, really just to put in the hands of our industry right now. Um, but we're so sensitive to the fact that, um, we don't want to seem opportunistic. Our, our intentions are really altruistic, but like in this landscape, the last thing you want to do is run out with an offer that people are like, Ugh, you know, they're trying to grab customers or, Oh my God, that feels tone deaf. So we're taking it and we're giving it to a handful of our trusted customers and saying, how does this resonate with you? And we're giving it to a handful of people who are restaurateurs that are not our customers and saying, how does this land with you? And let that really inform our timing, our messaging. And I feel like it's that kind of practice, that kind of discipline that helps make sure you're not getting one or two steps down the assumption path and put something out and it doesn't exactly land like you expected it to. And you wish you could, could have taken those extra steps in the beginning. So I don't know. I think the kind of like rambling answer to that question is it feels really, really important on a tactical level to in, infuse the discipline of understanding your customers into, and not just understanding them, like talking to them, asking their, you know, opinions, um, into the fabric of, of your marketing department. Excellent way to practice what you speak as well there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I mean, really right now it feels, I mean, I don't know if you're this way, and again, I don't know when this is going to air, so it may still be the case, but right now, I have one of two reactions to marketing and I am so dialed into it as a marketer, but I have one of two reactions right now. There is no gray. I'm either like they freaking knocked that out of the park. I love this. This feels exactly right. Or I cannot believe they said that. I cannot believe that that is an email that they sent right now. Like how tone deaf or how ridiculous or, you know, it's, and I'm ha and there's not any, anything in between for me. And I feel like, that's probably at least on some level, maybe to a lesser degree, if you're not dialed in as a marketer, but I think that's what people are feeling right now. And so to walk that line feels really, really important. And again, something that I think will likely be practice and, and the lens we look through even well after this is over. Well, that feels a bit like sensitivity in a way, yeah, yeah. It feels like it's sensitivity on both sides. They're, they're sensitive to the the tone deafness and they're pot sensitive in a positive way to something that's really helpful. That's right. And I, I think most people 
who are not in marketing, let's say an accountant or, you know, I don't know, anyone, when they're reading through their email, their like marketing emails, their promotion folder and their Gmail or whatever, I don't think they're having that active conversation in their brain of like, I hate this. I love this. It's so much more subtle for somebody who's not thinking about it the way that we do or your listeners do, but it's there, right? It's an emotional reaction and it's not necessarily always an emotional thing you're trying to talk about, but the emotional, that gut check reaction is what to me has that like to circle back to what we started talking about around brand equity, brand trust, authenticity, empathy, the brands that you feel connected with, and I use that word intentionally, are the ones that have really earned it. And you earn it in a tactical way, but the way that it manifests itself is very emotional. Um, and when you don't, the, it's equally emotional because it's not, I hate this email because of these five words. It's like, ugh, that's it. That noise. It's like, ugh, <laughs> I don't want to read that. Like, that's wrong. And so you're dealing as a marketer in, in emotion and you're having to tactically try and get your message across, but the recipient is going to have kind of an emotional reaction to it. That's by design. So to be really in tune to that feels more important than ever. And it's always been important, but right now specifically. That's awesome. It's great to hear more perspective and crystallize empathy. Right. That's right. And how you, how you, uh, take empathy and make it tactical. You know, it sounds fuzzy. It sounds like, yeah, that's the thing that you talk about when you're talking about your feelings, but it's, it's a business asset and you have to look at it that way always. But especially I would say over the next 12 months, it'll not, there'll be no other time where it's been more important. Totally agreed. Well, it's almost like you answered the question I was just about to ask, (laughs) (laughs) which is what is your vision for the future through the marketing lens? Yeah. So my vision, if I were to like read the tea leaves or like, you know, test the winds of change, I think we are, um, we're on the edge of something and And I don't really have a sense, I don't think any of us have a sense for how the pandemic is going to impact this. But if you had asked me this four months ago, this exact question four months ago, what I would have told you is, I think that because of people's increased awareness over privacy, uh, the fact that um, social media advertising has become so saturated and insanely competitive, um, as people get a little bit more savvy to that kind of going back to that brand authenticity or whatever, there, there's a higher standard for interacting with a brand, right? And uh, I don't know, I think it's been kind of the wild, wild west, like acquiring customers digitally over the last couple of years, maybe five years. And I do kind of feel like that's going to change. I think meaningfully that is going to change over the next couple of years. And so to me, what becomes everything that we talked about is what I think the future is, which is that the brands who have figured out how to connect with their customers in an authentic and empathetic way that have gone above and beyond to make that customer loyalty a visceral part of their business model, who have a message and product that that deeply resonates and does is in the have to have, not nice to have category, that that as our dependency, either by choice or kind of by force, either by consumers or by the platforms themselves as our dependency on these digital acquisition arms become a little bit more strained, those brands, the people who have put in the work now 
are the ones that are going to have the voice that cuts through the noise when you don't have this like straight shot to putting dollars in and getting customers out. Cause I think that's going to look different. So to me, everything that we've talked about, even though everything is upside down right now, everything we've talked about over the course of this conversation, um, I think it's, if you want my prediction, which obviously nobody knows anything right now, but my prediction is that that's only going to be more true because this is almost like a great reset button. Everything has stopped as businesses are having to look at their entire organizations and say, what makes the cut right now? What are we, we don't have everything we used to have. What makes the cut? What are we doing? Human beings are having to do that with their lives. They're trapped in their house. So like, what makes the cut? You know, they, maybe they lost their job. What makes the cut? And in that, I think that what brands make the cut, what companies make the cut, it's a time for us to start to be more disciplined around the way we position ourselves. And I think there's this, there's this moment where we can kind of get ahead of that change so that the day that our acquisition channels aren't as efficient. We aren't as dependent on them. We have a more diversified strategy. We have a different way of talking to our customers. Um, I don't think that digital acquisition is leaving. Don't get me wrong. I just think that there's been, um, I just think it's going to look different. And I think as marketers, the best thing we can do is root our messaging underneath those acquisition channels in something very true and real and based in real value. And then it allows us more freedom to cross channels as opposed to this is we're a one trick pony. We sell this thing. We sell it on Facebook. This is our message. We know we have a hundred dollar CAC. We know our AOV is, you know, 125 and we're just going to put as many dollars into this machine as possible. And we're just going to see what happens at the end, right? Like, I think that that simplified view around growing a company is is going to be meaningfully different. So yeah, that's hard to predict the future right now, truthfully. But kind of as I've reflected on it and gone through it as a person and gone through it as a marketer and both before and after this crisis, that that really feels right to me. That feels like what we're looking at over the next couple of years. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? I don't think so. I think that's we've covered. You've let me talk about all my favorite things. This has been so enjoyable. Um, no, I, I'm super grateful for the opportunity. Love, love talking about this stuff. And I just I'm really hopeful for all of us that on the other side of this, we we are more balanced and everyone is healthy. And um yeah, we potentially have a new view on the path forward. And hopefully, we come out of this stronger and more informed and um, more balanced than before. Excellent. Okay, well, what's the best place for people to go to learn more about you and to reach you? Well, you can learn more about Margin Edge um, at marginedge.com. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, I guess is the probably the easiest way to get in touch. Um but yeah, I mean, I'll include my contact information. I love talking about this. Um, I really legitimately do. So if there's anyone who wants to have a specific conversation or bounce ideas around, I mean, this is the time for us to come together and, and really consolidate best practices. And I am totally game. So if anyone wants to have those conversations, I'd, I'd love to pick it up. Excellent. Well, I think this has been a perfect, this episode has been a perfect testament to your ability to do so. This was great. <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show, Tara. Oh my gosh. Thank you. 